God wants you to prosper, not somebody else, not someone down the street, but he wants you to prosper. He promises to be our exceeding great reward. God has a great plan for you. Third John, verse two, it says, beloved, I wish above all things that you prosper and be in good health, even as your soul prospers. Well, hello, hello, hello. I'm Dr. Shanta Haynes again, and it is my pleasure to bring you a continuation of talking with Keisha Haran, dealing with mental health, mental health in the church, mental health and depression, which we're going in today. And there is so much more left. So if you've missed any one of the episodes thus far, make sure you go back and listen. But secondly, I'm going to ask that you like, share, this information because somebody needs to know sharing is caring. And then thirdly, I'm going to ask that you also go ahead and set your notifications so that you'll be made aware of what's happening here at Heart to Heart Truth and all the different featured guests that I'm going to have. It has been my pleasure to be able to bring it to you. So let's jump right in with Keisha Heron. Oh, yes, absolutely. I wholeheartedly believe that there is purpose in pain. I mean, there has to be, right? I, I can't be going through all of this just for the sake of going through all of this. There has to be purpose well, in pain. We do overcome by the blood of the lamb and the words of our testimony. So we want to make that again. Let me ask you this. If it's so difficult for us to come in, what are some of the key issues that you see that is hard for people to overcome to say, hey, I need assistance. Pride. Pride is a big oh. one, yes. Self, the opinions of other people. So, you know, some of the things that I see working with clients, people don't even know they're in therapy. Their parents don't even know they're in therapy because it has been so stigmatized or they've been called crazy or nothing's wrong with you, or that ain't gonna work. You know, all, why can't you just get it together? Mm. You're not strong. It's a moral problem. It's a matter of your will. So I think, you know, we are the biggest barrier, obviously, because, you know, we, we, we live with us. So we are the biggest barrier, but I think outside of just us being the biggest barrier, we are so controlled by the opinions of other people that that also makes it a barrier that is hard to overcome. And then, you know, societal stigma. Unfortunately, you know, mental health or you know, psychiatric wards back in the day, it just made a bad rep for today. So when you think about going into therapy, there's so many different things that they call therapists or psychiatrists or psychologists, not realizing that we're all different. We do things differently. And you know, you still have that whole Freudian idea that you sit on a couch and hmm, so tell me how you're feeling. <laughs> or you're in a gray jacket <laughs> with padded walls. Now while that sometimes is necessary um, that is higher 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 level of care just coming in to have a conversation is just like what you and I are doing right now a conversation so you're trying to tell me I'm on the couch all right <laughs> <laughs> 
I can be beautifully broken on the couch. You sure can. I mean, my uh, god sister has this this logo that says, "My scars made me beautiful," and and they do. You know, our scars really do make us beautiful. While we may not like them, you know, I have a scar from a surgery I had when I was 16 years old, and while I don't like this scar, it reminds me that I'm also an overcomer. It reminds me that I woke up after they put me to sleep yeah. you know what I'm saying and it is a reminder that I no longer have to deal with that pain that was the cause of me getting this scar I had a cyst and every time I would hit my hand on the cyst it would hurt tremendously and they had to remove it so scars also represent healing and if we do not allow the scabs to heal and develop a scar and it's just it just remains an open wound and just because you're not paying attention to it doesn't mean the wound ain't still there oozing and getting infected and doing all kinds of things you don't want it to do yeah you're absolutely right I know when we look at it from a business standpoint um, and I've just started this counseling program for Mm -hmm. those women and I think I mentioned it to you as well that are plagued by the double d's the divorce or death and they're trying to get their finances in order, if I did not recognize or come across to them as to where I have been, because I'm trying to get you over that bridge to get to the other side, you know, you'll see a lot of those who are doing ministry and, you know, business ministry, I would say, you see them being authentic, being vulnerable to say, I've been there where you are now so that I can then help you be your guide, if you would, to get to the other side, right? Shorten the time period and where you've gone. So sometimes we do have to be vulnerable. That does allow for others to see that there is hope at the end or light at the end of the tunnel. They see that you have gone through. So our strength then is shown up at the very end, but we can't pretend like we were always strong throughout the entire journey. Correct. We can't do the highlight reels. Yes. We do that time-lapse photography, like, oh yeah, I accepted Jesus and it's all good. Right. Okay. Right. But not talking about about the time when my friends left me or my family left me or somebody talked about me or yeah, all of that. Yes, absolutely. There is so much there, but you know what? And I know I have a list of things that I wanted you to talk about. That's why I know this is definitely going into several different uh, episodes. But one that I did not have on this list that I think that comes up quite often in church, and that's depression. Mm. (laughs) And we think that because we know Jesus, we're good like that because he's our, you know, Abba Father is there protecting us and Jesus is right there. He did all of what he did on my behalf and he bore my griefs and my sins. I'm not supposed to be depressed. What do you say to that? So it brings me back to the us being a three-part being. Mm-hmm. When we accept Christ, our spirit is whole. Our spirit is perfect, right? Yes but we're still in this body mm-hmm. and this body is still made up of flesh. This body is still made up of dirt and clay. And this body is still in this world that I must say is fallen and has been plagued with sin. And so, you know, we have our fleshly nature 
and our spirit that is always at war with each other, right? That's what Paul said to the Romans, uh, always at war with each other. And while when we know our identity in Christ, our spirit man is supposed to rise up and keep our flesh man in check, the reality is mm-hmm. we live in a world where our flesh is still showing up multiple times throughout the day, multiple seasons throughout the day. And so to not confront that depression or not, or to not acknowledge it. I mean, at the end of the day, depression or having a depressed mood is still an emotion. Okay. And God created us as emotional beings. We are thinking beings, we're emotional beings. So why is it not okay to feel depression? There is a difference between feeling a depressed mood and actually having clinical depression. Feeling the depressed mood means I'm sad throughout the day. You know what I'm saying? I'm feeling a little down. Whereas clinical depression, there's a whole slew of other things going on with you outside of just the feeling of depression. And I also think a lot of times people confuse the two, that they think because I feel depressed, I have depression. No, you feel depressed because you're sad. That's it. You're just sad. So if you're functional, but you're just sad, that's when you need to get help before you go into that deep dive of clinically depressed. So I would say that um, even functionality sometimes does not necessarily alleviate you from not having depression. I work with countless people who have clinical depression and they show up for work, they show up at home, they show up with their friends, they show up in school. And a lot of times those individuals are us, Um, Black people because of that strength and that resilience, right? So we can't afford to be taken off. We can't afford to be sleeping in our bed all day. We can't afford to show up for our family, right? But that doesn't mean that when I come home and I'm by myself, I don't hate myself. That doesn't mean when I come home and I'm by myself, I'm not sitting here comparing myself to everybody else and that's not triggering my hopelessness. While people see me doing so great, I feel so horrible and I feel so miserable. So I don't always think that functionality, even though according to our DSM, that's what makes it a disorder. It has to affect functionality. I just have this theory that sometimes our DSM is not really culturally based sometimes. people do know how to function in their dysfunction. That doesn't mean they don't have a dysfunction. I mean, in substance use, my clients used to always come in talking about, and that was part of their denial too. Well, I'm a functioning alcoholic. That's an oxymoron. You're only a functioning alcoholic because you still drink it. Take that alcohol away. You ain't gonna be functioning anymore. But nonetheless, until their life falls apart, they don't think it's a problem. And so I think that that can also be a barrier. Mm. What do you mean I'm depressed? I still show up at work. What do you mean I'm depressed? I'm showing up on the worship team. What do you mean I'm depressed? I'm still pastoring from the pulpit. What do you mean I'm depressed? I'm still showing up from my home. Yeah, you're depressed because when you go home by yourself, you don't speak to yourself the way you speak to your family. You don't speak to yourself the way you speak to your friends. You don't speak to yourself the way you speak to your congregation. And if you didn't have any of those things that people 
expected from you, you probably wouldn't engage in any of those things, you know? Like, so when we put on that mask and we become a performer, we can do all those things, we can function, but we'd be so dysfunctional when we're by ourselves. So- You call it I, a character. You put on your own character, <laughs> you know, act in that way. So, so just to kind of summarize this one on the depression side, if, can you give us some things to look for to identify the depression to start with? Like if you are sad, if you are hopeless, if by yourself, you just want to crawl in the bed and do absolutely nothing. I don't know what you would say, but what kind of things or symptoms would we look for to say, yes, I might be depressed and I might need to go talk to someone. Absolutely. All those things are things that you would say, I would want to talk to someone. And let me put a little plug here. I encourage people to talk to people before things go wrong, right? We are so reactive. You start having depression. Now you want to go seek mental health therapy, or you want to seek someone to support you. Seek someone to support you just because you want to be mentally well, right? So that's my little caveat. But to now go back to your question, yes, all of those things. So if you find that if you find that you're sad more frequently than what you would call your normal, right? right. Those are things you want to look for. If you find yourself increasingly irritable, another thing that confuses people specifically sometimes with men is I'm angry I'm not depressed well what's underneath your anger okay a lot of times within um, with men the only emotion that you feel allowed to feel is anger and then show aggression or be hostile and then become violent sometimes those individuals have depression they're sad that's what's underneath their anger iceberg. I'm sad, I'm insecure, I don't like myself. I'm struggling with intense feelings of jealousy and I really don't know why, you know? Though, so if you become increasingly irritable, that's something to be concerned about. When you find yourself isolating, something to be concerned about, you no longer wanna do the things that you were interested in doing. Now you don't have the motivation to go to your favorite book club. When you was in book club every week for the past five years, and now all of a sudden we haven't seen you for two months. That's something to be considerate about. You know, check on your friends, see, make sure they're they're okay. If you're finding yourself not able to really concentrate, like you have a really good ability to focus, but lately you feel a little mumbled and you're like, I can't, I just can't seem to focus on one task at a time. And then going into things that are a little bit more severe, you start hurting yourself. And now hurting yourself does not necessarily mean that you're cutting yourself and that you're only burning yourself and you're doing something physically to hurt yourself. Hurting yourself can be, you started to engage in substance use, more so than you would have done before. Uh, Self-harm can include high-risk sexual activity. You become promiscuous, you're hypersexual, and that's not your normal. Well, for the believer, 
well, we're not gonna go there. That's not your normal. Oh, go um, there, go there. Okay, wait, wait. We're gonna come back to that. We'll, we'll come back to that. Or there's a lot that you're mentioning there, um, and I'm sure you got a long list. But I think that that gives a good place for people to start saying, "I do need to maybe talk with someone." And with that, though, I'm sure you give coping skills as well of, hey, why don't you try this? Here's one, two or three things that you can do, because I do like to give my my audience uh, something that they can take away and say, I need to check this. And yes, yeah. they can check whether or not they need to go see someone. And I'm going to suggest that everybody gets on um, Keisha's social media, follow her, follow what she's doing. I'll put that plug in now and make sure I put it in again at the end and make sure it's all in the show notes. But what coping mechanism or skill would you say that we need to definitely develop? So I would say um, foundationally speaking, there are three things that I have been learning more and more about that really helps our mind, which then helps our brain function properly. Number one, sleep, good sleep hygiene. You okay. see, she's putting her head. Just had to do that with you. Okay. Oh, I am. Oh, I am. <laughs> um, but outside of you, good sleep hygiene is so, so, so important for our body on countless levels. A good, good nutrition. Your body needs fuel. And if you fuel it with junk, it's going to run junky. So good nutrition. And then the one that I will probably need to hang my head down for is exercise. We need to move. So when you have a good diet, when you're sleeping good, and when you increase your physical activity, you give yourself the foundational things so that you can work more effectively. And then outside of that, acknowledgement. Be aware of how you are feeling. Your feelings are your feelings and they are okay. We were created with emotions. If we did not have emotions, we would be robotic. We would be boring. Your emotions are okay. And if you do not acknowledge them, then they will do what they've been doing, controlling you. Once you acknowledge your emotions, then you can start to control and manage them more effectively. And then I would say connect to people. Isolation is the trick of the enemy. If I can get you by yourself, then I can whisper all these lies in your ears for you to believe and you won't have nobody to challenge them because while he's telling you these lies, you are reinforcing them and saying, yeah, true that you right. Oh, I remember that. And you have nobody to say, Hey, this doesn't look right. I mean, and I should have probably said the first thing we want to do is pray. We want to seek God's word about what, who he has called us to be, because at the end of the day, even if we don't feel that 
you know, uh, I learned in worshiping God that I don't worship him out of my feelings. I worship him out of what I know. And when I don't feel like it, the more I tell myself who he is, I am willing myself to feel the worship that I owe him and that he deserves. And so when the Bible says that we are to take all of our thoughts under captivity, under the obedience of Jesus Christ, that's exactly what we want to do. I mean, the Bible tells us everything that we need to do. Oftentimes we don't open it. We don't read it. We don't look to it um, because the Bible has really sound uh, advice and yes. suggestions on how we should do everything. You know, Philippians 4 is one of my favorite stuff when he talks about do not be anxious for anything, but in everything with supplication and prayer, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God will, the peace of God, which guards your heart and your mind, it will surpass all understanding. I've debauched that a little bit, but my theologian will fix that when, when he starts speaking. And then after that, he tells us to focus on these things, yes. whatever things are true, whatever things are right, whatever things are just, whatever things are of a good report and praiseworthy. Do these things as you've seen me, Paul do, and the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind that is your soul the bible he, he i mean after that what you gotta do you know uh capture your thoughts yes reframe them yes. and then continue to tell yourself who god calls you to be you're fearfully and wonderfully made you are the head and you are not the tail that you are the clay and you're being molded in the potter's hand you know that's the part that people don't like oh i'm i'm a christian i'm a believer and everything's supposed to be great no clay being molded in the potter's hand mean that he's gonna have to yeah that's that, that's that we have to work out with yes. fear and trembling right right and so right. I would say that those um, obviously, and then talking, seeking professional help is always something that I'm passionate about, but that just those three basic things and then being aware of your emotions and really practicing gratitude in all things, give thanks. Gratitude surely does cultivate joy. Yeah. I mean, in everything, give thanks. When you're upset, give thanks. When you're depressed, give thanks. When your world seems to be crushing down on you, give thanks. When you're joyful, give thanks. When you're, when you're happy, give thanks. In all things, give thanks. Why? Gratitude does not invalidate or minimize how you are currently feeling. It just gives you an opportunity to see that there's more to the story. Yeah. So while I'm while I'm just sitting here paying attention to how everything isn't going right, well, you're still breathing. Right. You're still able to even have the, that thought process. Yes. There are so many things to be grateful for in the midst of despair. But if we do not shift our focus on whatever things are just right, we, 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 we do ourselves a disservice because we don't allow ourselves to see the complete picture. And why should I judge myself on the time relapse of the negativity when there is a whole picture that I'm choosing not to see? And now I, and I say this 
also understanding the difficulty when we're talking about depression. I don't say this to be light, to be lightly. I know what it is like to struggle with depression. I work with clients who have clinical depression. A lot of what we talk about, these things are not easy, but these things don't change. You know, it, it is a simple process. No matter how much training you go through, talk about different skills, it is the same process. Awareness, capturing your thoughts, reframing your thoughts, and changing the dialogue. They just teach you different ways to do that. But it is the same concept. Um, and so I'm not saying that it is easy, but simple does not mean easy. Yes. They're two and different things. You're absolutely right. So within the church, we do have people who are depressed and they need to get assistance. And it's not, we should not stigmatize them saying, oh, well, if you really love Jesus more, you'd be okay. No, it doesn't. It doesn't happen that way. And yes, Jesus did suffer for us and he did die for us. And we appreciate all of that. We would not be where we are if it had not been for the grace of God. However, the world is a hard place and things that do happen in the world can cause someone to be depressed or sad for a moment, but we don't want that to last. So I'm glad that you gave those tips, although some of them hit a little bit close to home. We also recognize we can have some accountability partners that say, wait a minute, you might need to do something different. Right, right. You might need to go see someone. If you're not sleeping, if you're not eating, if you're not getting your exercise, okay, that might be contributing. But even outside of that, I'm seeing a difference in you. They right. also can even help with that guarding your mind because if you're telling yourself some things and they start hearing that come out of your mouth, then they will be able to just rope that back in and say, well, where'd right. you get that from? That's not what right. the Bible says. Right. I think you also hit on the fact we need to know what the Bible says so that we can change it. We're supposed to renew our minds, right? <laughs> By the word of God. Absolutely. One of the big things, and I know it's probably not going to be politically correct. One of the big things that we see in the world today is that sexuality, whether it's being promiscuous on one side, and you kind of alluded to that fact earlier or it's going to be on the, I'm not going along with the status quo of male-female relationships any longer. And I want more of that to be able to come into the church. What say you about those kind of things? Who child? So talking about money can be an embarrassing issue and it can have a little bit of shame to go along with it. But if you really are ready to come out of the shadows and get into the marvelous light, truly being able to be confident and skillful in what you do with your money management, I'm your girl. I've got online classes for you. No one even has to know. Financial independence is something that you want. Financial freedom is available. Financial security should be yours. Jesus didn't die for you to financially struggle. So come on out of the shadows into the marvelous light. Get into one of these classes, Financialopoly, Financial Wisdom for Financial Freedom, which is going to give you six weeks of all the money management principles that you're going to need to know. Believe me, I'll walk you through it. You can do it. Step-by-step -step instructions on what you need to do. And then there's also 
Biblical Financial Personalities Masterclass. It's the principles and the practices that go along with how you authentically handle money, how you deal with money, as well as why you deal with it the way that you do. And it's a Bible study. So it goes through observation, application, interpretation, as well as contemplation. So that you then, utilizing the scriptures and those principles, you can maximize what it is that you do have and secure your future, not only for yourself, but for your family. You can find us online at h the number two h truth.org. At Heart to Heart Truth Ministries, we're helping believers live an abundant life based on God's word, standing on his promises, walking out his principles, sharing with God's people, serving as unto the Lord.